Welcome to the 358th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Stay tuned for my interview with William Schreiber, author of the novel Someone to Watch Over. Stay tuned for the interview. The Reading and Writing Podcast is brought to you by Libro FM. Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from more than 185,000 audiobooks, including bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers. You'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but you'll be part of a different story. One that supports your local community and your local bookstore. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. You can listen during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Here's your special offer from the Reading and Writing Podcast. Get two audiobooks for the price of one today with your first month of membership with the code RWPODCAST at checkout. This offer is only valid for new members in Canada and the U.S. Check out Libro.fm today. Well, welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is William Schreiber, author of the novel Someone to Watch Over. William, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jeff. Uh, Thanks so much. It's great to be here. I appreciate it. Sure. Well, if someone listening hasn't heard about your novel Someone to Watch Over yet, how would you describe the novel? Uh, Someone to Watch Over is a it's a family family saga um, set in the South. It tells the story of a woman named Lenny Riley, whose life was derailed when she was a teen living in a small town, in the remote foothills of the Great Smoky Mountains. And uh, she has spent the last 25 years kind of running from that past um, in the far reaches of Alaska. But she returns home to try to reconcile with her estranged father who had forced her to give up a child for adoption when she was in high school. And there's kind of a mystery surrounding, you know, um, that adoption and the events leading up to it. And when she gets back, you know, to the Smoky Mountains, a little town called Mosley, she learns from her estranged brother, John, that their father has died, you know, taking with him to his grave the answer to a question that she would desperately, desperately love answered. Um, And that is the whereabouts of her child, which she feels she abandoned to the world, um, and was powerless to do anything about. So when she discovers the rumored existence of different kind of angel in the Appalachian mountains called Gardican angels, who can supposedly reconnect deceased parents with the children they left behind, she sets out to find one in hopes of reconciling with her father across the great divide and learn from him where she might be able to find her child. And so she sets out to find that angel uh, with her skeptical brother, John, who isn't buying any of it. He's kind of an engineered, tightly wound guy, and she hopes to rebuild her relationship with him as well. So it's about family reconciliation and, uh, you know, there's there's heartbreak, but ultimately it's a story of hope and, um, you know, families learning to reconcile and, and come back together. 
So do you remember the original idea that led you to write Someone to Watch Over? Oh, yes. Um, It was inspired by the death of my own father unexpectedly and my family asking me to write and deliver his eulogy. And um, I felt overwhelmed by the task. It was the hardest writing I had ever done. Um, And it remains so to this day uh, because I felt overwhelmed by the task of capturing the last formal words, you know, spoken of him when I realized that I only knew him as a dad from the time he was about 30 years old. And he had an entire life, you know, before me and my four siblings entered the picture. And you never think to ask, you know, questions about your parents' childhood and what their dreams were and what their hopes were growing up because you're kind of out there building your own life. And um, I, I realized, you know, too late that I, I would probably never get to really, well, I not probably, I would never get to ask him those questions. And so I entered the, the eulogy by recalling family vacations that we used to take when I was a kid. You know, we would load up in the station wagon and uh, um, living in Florida at the time, we would go to these little mom and pop um, uh, tourist attractions and one that I remember specifically is not in, in existence anymore, Six Gun Territory near Ocala. And um, so the story seed came from um, the brother, John, wanting to retrace a childhood vacation in memory of his father, whom he realizes he didn't know as well as he knows his own clients. He's a successful engineer in Knoxville. And um, he wants to try to rediscover a magical moment that his dad experienced watching a space launch. Uh, when when he was a boy and his father was a young man. And so he and Lenny, who has a hidden agenda, set out to retrace this childhood vacation they had taken together with their dad. Um, and along the way, um, they, they learn how to be family again, and they learn what the true meaning of family is um, when the trip becomes something more than they ever thought it would be. And so is it correct that you wrote someone to watch over first as a screenplay before you wrote it as a novel? I did. Yes. Um, I wrote it um, when I was living in uh, Athens, Georgia, and um, it had gotten some really good response in terms of it had won or placed as a finalist in a slew of screenwriting competitions at film festivals around the country and had the good fortune of finishing as a quarter finalist, which is the top 5% in the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences Nickel Fellowship in Screenwriting uh, competition, which is probably the most competitive screenwriting competition in the world. And so what that told me was, is that I thought I had a good story there because it was resonating with people. Um, And I tried to get it made as a film and I'm not a producer, so I, I don't have, you know, all of those skills and, uh, you know, getting a film made takes a small army of people. And I, I, I tried my best, um, but ultimately ran into a, a wall with it in about 2008 when the economy collapsed and um, the independent production shingles of the studios closed. And it just so happened that there was a writer's strike at the same time. And so the town was you know, basically paralyzed and locked down. And I just, I hit an emotional wall with it, trying to get something done with it as a screenplay. So I set it aside for a number of years and, and, and worked on some other things and wrote some other 
um, bigger screenplays because this is a kind of an intimate screenplay, a small screenplay by Hollywood standards in terms of budget. Um, so I wrote some bigger things and my agent shopped those and it was just a tough time. So I, I kind of set all of that aside and worked on, you know, other things, making a living and so forth as a, I'm a freelance writer. Um, I went to the journalism school at the university of Florida. And so I've been a writer for a long time. Um, so then I thought, you know what, I, I couldn't put this story out of my mind. So I decided to create a novel out of it because one of the frustrations as a screenwriter is that that is not the final form in which that story is supposed to be experienced by an audience. You know, there's no music, there's no motion, there's no, there's no facial expressions. It's a broad brush stroke that is brought to life in a whole different medium. So I set out to write a novel and create the movie in, 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 in readers' minds um, by, instead of broad brush stroking everything, uh, painting every little nib and tuck of the canvas. And um, so that's what I set out to do. And, and that's what I did. And um, I feel fortunate that it, it, it's being responded to well again, which I think just encourages me that there is a story there that people are relating to. And I think it's because it comes from such a, an honest emotional place um, from my own experience. And so how did you uh, first get interested in writing screenplays? Well, <laughs> I, uh, a friend of mine who was a, a, a producer in Florida, um, small, you know, independent producer, knew a director who was trying to get uh, a film made and he needed a screenplay. And so the producer called me while I was living in Athens, Georgia, and asked if I would like to write a screenplay about a big city boy from New York who's being groomed to take over his father's corporation. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, but with one last summer vacation comes down to a small Florida beach town and learns from a group of kind of comical retirees, how to follow his own dream. So it's a, it's a coming of age family story. Um, and it, it was produced, uh, miracle of miracles. Uh, it had Ernest Borgnine in it and, uh, Artie Johnson and Bill Cobbs. And it was, uh, you know, distributed internationally. It's called Captiva Island. And that was a blessing and a curse because I thought, well, that was easy. You know, <laughs> I wrote a screenplay and it was produced. So I'll just write another one and get it produced too. And that's not the way it happened. So it was, uh, it was, a, it was a heck of an experience for sure. 
and so I I started writing screenplays, and I've always been described as a very visual kind of writer. So I think maybe I gravitated toward that um, that platform, um, and and only came into writing novels uh, a couple of years ago, which is about how long it took me to adapt this. So when you did that adaptation from the screenplay to a novel for someone to watch over, what was what was that experience like for you? What, what were the differences that you found between uh, writing a screenplay and writing a novel? It was very interesting. Um, I came to understand th- that the difference between the two storytelling platforms is that screenwriting is writing a story from the outside in. And novel writing is writing a story, at least the ones that I write, character-driven from the inside out. Because in a screenplay, you're essentially, what you're laying down on the page is what the camera sees. And you're able to jump between characters and suggest emotional reactions to something that was just said or done. And the writing is very economical. Um, You have a slug line, which, you know, interior or exterior, what the scene is, you know, a craftsman house day, a couple of lines of description, and then you go into the dialogue. Um, But in the, in the novel writing, what I learned was working with an editor because I knew uh, there were things I didn't know um, was that POV, you know, needs to be um, in, in this type of close third person emotional story. It, It needs to be consistent and you can't, you can't obviously jump around between characters in terms of their perspectives because it distance distances people from the story because they don't know who to come into the story through. So one of my big challenges was learning to think about POV in a different way. And, and the other one was to know how to paint an entire picture still being economical, you know, not, not going on too long about it, just give the reader enough to wet their imagination and let them smell and see something and then, you know, move on. So I think the main difference is, you know, approaching the story, especially character driven stories from the outside looking in as a screenwriter and from the inside looking out as a novelist. So what are your earliest memories of reading and books and storytelling? Um, we w- would go to the library as kids over the summer, and I was I was definitely into the you know like the Hardy Boys and um, Clive Cussler was another one I liked because he wrote he wrote about kind of adventures on the ocean, and I grew up on the Gulf of Mexico, so big water was always interesting to me. And he wrote about submarines, and I always thought that was a really kind of magical and dangerous world, you know, because you could be crushed at any second. Um, and I also read, you know, kind of in the middle school years, Edgar Allan Poe, um, the, you know, um, The Raven and Casca the Amontillado. And I just, I just think that I like to feel something, you know, and it was scary reading, no doubt, um, for, a, for a kid. But from that, I, I wrote my first story kind of riffing off the Casca the Amontillado and um, it won an award and like, sixth grade or something like that. Um, and I had, uh, I had walled my sister up in her, <laughs> in the bedroom, a uh, wall, um, <laughs> like the, uh, like in the cask of the Amontillado and we get a kick out of it now, but 
So, you know, it was the Hardy Boys and um, Clive Cussler, Edgar Allan Poe, that sort of thing. So given your your experience now writing both screenplays and, and this novel, uh, what writing advice would you offer for listeners who are writing their own stories and novels? Well, one thing I've definitely learned is that you need to enjoy the journey of the writing because what happens after that um, is somewhat out of your control. And the journey is you know, exploring your story ideas and getting yourself onto the page and saying what you want to say and enjoying the ride and and enjoying your characters and, you know, learning about them and going places with them. Um, I would, I would say that um, be careful of chasing the market because um, usually by the time you get there, the market's changed directions or is, is not the market you started out chasing. And I, I have to say that the book world novels, the pipeline, it, it, the pipe is so much bigger and the opportunities are so much greater to get your stories out there than the screenwriting world, which has consolidated tremendously um, over the past 10 years. And it's, it's, you know, unless you're writing $300 million comic book epics, which, um, you know, is very few and far between it. it I think there's going to be more frustration probably trying to make it as a screenwriter than than getting a novel published. So what novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Um, nonfiction. I'm, um, I, I recently read a, a kind of a, a crass and funny history of Seattle called um, sons of the prophets, P R O F I T S, which is, uh, which has been interesting. And I also um, just finished, Reading, uh, reading White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo because I needed to, to read that and um, try to understand, you know, what, what is happening in our country right now and, and, you know, what role I play and what role I can play. And so are you working on a new novel or screenplay now? I am. I'm, um, I'm working uh, to create uh, an outline for a, a sequel to someone to watch over in which Lenny and um, how can I say this without a spoiler alert for someone to watch over <laughs> in which Lenny um, and others return to the small town in, in, in the foothills. And it's, it's a town that's run by kind of a heartless um, enterprise, family owned enterprise dating back generations, you know, in the foothills. And, uh, she goes back to, to take them on because they were part of what derailed her life and, and sent her spiraling in a, in a bad direction. And she spends the story rebuilding and, and getting back to a good place. So how have you found the pandemic impacting your writing? Mm. Well, I, I'm a writer by profession anyway. I mean, I have clients that I write for and it's not, you know, creative narrative writing, but um, I'm used to sitting alone, you know, in front of a computer. And so um, that hasn't changed that much, but it weighs on your mind every day, you know, when the news just keeps going on and on and on and we can't seem to get a, a hold of this like we should. And it, 
you know, I, I think it creates a lot of, it can create a lot of negative energy that, you know, storytelling can help you kind of escape from. Um, when you're writing a story, I, I get lost and that becomes the world. So it's really beneficial, I think, for me to keep writing and, 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 and keep focused on, you know, stories um, to kind of find my way through this. And hopefully we will soon. So where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novel, someone to watch over? Sure. Um, I'm, I have a website, williamschreiber.com. Uh, last name is spelled S C H R E I B as in boy E R. And, um, I'm on Twitter, um, at bill underscore Schreiber and Facebook at William Schreiber author. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with William Schreiber. He's the author of the novel, Someone to Watch Over. The novel is available now, so go buy a copy. And William, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Great. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.